Maybe it would help if I turn my microphone on. Good morning. I want to thank you all for joining us, whether you're here in our service live or whether you're watching online. We're, we're really glad to have you here today. And for those of you who have an earbud in or listening to something else other than me, welcome to the Super Bowl pregame show. Got a football lover back there, let me tell you. I say that because a couple years ago, a guy was sitting here, and I walked by him, and he had an earbud in his ear. He had, it wasn't a modern-day earbud. He had the old-fashioned kind with the wire, and he was listening to the game. He was listening to all the pregame hype while I was preaching. He loved his football, but I know you're here because you love Jesus. Amen? Well, back in 1970, uh, the Motown group, The Temptations, had a hit song titled Ball of Confusion. Anybody remember that song? Yeah? All right. First service, brother, we had nobody. It was like crickets and tumbleweeds. Nobody knew anything about the temptations. And I said, I grew up in Detroit. Motown's a part of my life, okay? So the focus of the song was on all the many problems that existed in our country and in our world at the time. The lyrics touched on segregation, demonstration, aggravation, humiliation, evolution, revolution, gun control, the sound of soul, unemployment, eve of destruction, and a tax deduction. It spoke of our population problems, cities ablaze, drug abuse, and suicide. And two of my favorite lines that took pot shots at the politicians, one of them said, vote for me and I'll set you free. And the other one said, more taxes will solve everything. Some things have never changed, right? As I was thinking about all the craziness that's going on in our world lately, that song came to mind, and I realized that it's just like the lyrics of that song says. That's what the world is today, a ball of confusion. It's a very accurate, and it's a very timeless description of the condition of our sin-stained world. And it's even gotten worse since 1970 because things have literally been turned upside down. Lies are now accepted as the truth. And the truth is, is considered to be whatever an individual believes it to be, even if that truth is a lie. It seems that the human mind is more deceived now than ever before. While the nations of the world and their leaders actively conspire and plot in vain, to rise up against God as they attempt to thwart his plans while denying God's truth, his love, and yes, his very existence. How lost humanity has become. I want to begin this morning by reading Psalm chapter 2. It's going to be up on the screen behind me. You can follow along. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, feel free to. Psalm chapter 2, this kind of, to me, sums it up, and I want to read it with you this morning. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, that's Jesus, saying, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. They believe that following God puts a person into bondage. That's not a scripture. That was my comment on that scripture. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance, 
the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son or he will be angry and your way will lead to your destruction. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. In this scripture, we clearly see who the adversaries of God really are. The nations and their people. You see, this world is the base camp for the kingdom of Satan. And it is filled with unredeemed men and women of every character, every position, every, every rank and party who oppose God and who oppose the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I would propose to you this morning that it is the rulers of this earth, those who hold political power in these countries, who lead these countries, and who have, have been the most active in the opposition of God throughout history. And why is that? It is because the, the truth of the cross runs contrary to the ambitions and the lusts of those who rule and reign on this earth. And therefore, it should not surprise any of us as we observe the direction that our nation has been heading. Our country, the United States of America, that was built upon Christian principles, a land that began espousing freedom, and early on many called the great experiment, a land known throughout the world for its acceptance, its opportunities, its charity, and its defense against injustice has become a land of immorality, of hatred, of division, of skewed ambitions, and denies the very existence of God the Creator. And so today I want to bring you a message that has been weighing heavily on my heart for quite some time. I've been carrying around great concern and I've even grieved over the direction of our nation and its political leaders. And please understand something, my grieving only comes from the fact that I love this country. But I am saddened by the forces of, of darkness that have taken hold of much of our government, our entertainment industry, our popular culture, and our society as a whole. As all of you are painfully aware, we just completed one of the most unusual years that many of us have, have ever experienced. And it's interesting how through all of these challenges that we faced as a nation, all of our mess, this entire ball of confusion, really came to the forefront in 2020. Politically, we have never been more divided as a nation. It's been a year of reignited and heightened racial tensions. We've seen a summer when whole parts of major cities were taken over and destroyed by members of various groups with various causes and motives. It was full-blown anarchy with the destruction of both public and private property while mayors of those cities told local law enforcement to stand down. And now, some political leaders and some of even the political leaders of those cities have called to defund law enforcement altogether. We've seen a new Supreme Court justice appointed to the bench, and she fought a barrage of, of criticism over, of all things, her Christian beliefs. And many of her political rivals claimed that it actually disqualified her to serve on the bench. 
We've seen tensions greatly increase between America with China and Russia, with each nation repositioning themselves both politically and, yes, militarily. We've seen over 400,000 deaths in the USA attributed to COVID-19, but we're not even sure how accurate those numbers are because we've all read of health officials using a broad criteria in determining if a death was actually from the virus or a car accident that happened in front of the hospital while they were treating someone with a virus. We've seen small businesses completely decimated due to stay-at-home orders and edicts from governors who have overstepped their political boundaries and their power. A thriving economy came to a crashing halt with unemployment going through the roof, roof while trying to protect the spread of a virus that was going to spread inevitably anyway. And then to try to financially help businesses and people who were deeply affected by COVID-19 And don't get me wrong, I believe in helping people, but stimulus packages have been passed, and another one is in the process, which is going to add another $1.9 trillion of not our money, of borrowed money to our national debt, which is currently, as of yesterday, on the internet, on our nation's own website, standing at $28 trillion. Can you even fathom that kind of money? If you're wondering what that looks like, it equals out to $222,000 for every taxpayer in our nation. That's staggering. It's an unsustainable, back-breaking debt that even our great-great-grandchildren will not be able to pay for. We've seen accusations made of corruption by political figures that was seemingly swept under the rug with no one taking the time to pursue the truth while we became eminently clear that there is a double standard that exists between enforcing laws of those in political power and the average United States citizen. We've seen a protest that turned into a raid on Capitol Hill where four people lost their lives in what some have called the worst security breach in U.S. history. And if I watch one more commercial asking me to save the life of a stray dog or a cat or a polar bear, while no one will post a commercial about saving the unborn child that's in the womb, I think I'm going to die. I'm venting this morning. I hope you're okay with that. Plus, I need to get you on my side because you might not be clapping at the second half of this message. I could go on and on. I could spend the entire time just listing everything. And I'm not trying to depress you. I'm really not. I'm just trying to open your eyes to the enormity of the issues that we face. And it's important for you to understand that it's not just happening in America. Though the news channels try to isolate you from news coming in from the outside world, it's happening all over the world. And you need to change your source of news because there's a lot of news out there that would literally blow your mind of things going on in other countries. And it's happening to even a worse degree than it's happening here. And when you look at the scope and you look at the diversity of the problems that we face, it deeply grieves me. I am saddened by the condition of our country. But can I tell you what has saddened me even more? It's the response from the Christian community. It's the response from those in the household of faith. Well-known Christian leaders in the news and so deep into the political process of our nation that it has literally skewed their approach to the presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Christ followers so upset over things. And instead of being salt and light in a very dark world that needs some flavor in the worst way, have got caught up in hostile debates and name-calling. I've seen posts on social medias on social media from Christians that say things like, I, I, like, I hope they all rot in hell while talking about political figures and others who are part of the problem. Can I just say for the record that Jesus never talked that way? In fact, his harshest words were, were reserved for the corrupt religious leaders of his time who were leading people astray. Jesus' desire, Jesus' purpose was and is what Luke 19.10 says. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. He came to help people to see the truth, and then he provided a way for them to receive salvation. Luke 4, 18 and 19, he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Jesus understood his mission, and it's important that we understand our mission, and ours is to lead people to the cross of Christ, not call them names. We are to be about our Father's business. So we have to take Jesus' lead in this issue because everything he did, he did in love. And that is something the church of late really seems to be lacking. And let me just say, I know how hard it can be at times to love someone who through their actions go entirely against what you believe and what you stand for. But Jesus made it very clear that we are even to love those who are difficult to love. Luke 6, 32 through 36. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who, do, who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. When you look below the surface of the arrogant confidence that is often projected by those who are lost in sin and those who play a part in the moral decay of our nation, what you will find is deeply broken people. People who are lost, who've been, who've been blinded to the truth by our enemy. Satan specializes in speaking lies to people. Because I'm sure he's spoken them to you like he has me. And we've all heard it said before, if you believe a lie long enough, what does it become? It becomes your truth. And that's exactly where we are today. People who are far away from God and who don't live by the principles found in God's word are simply blinded to the truth. Furthermore, many of them have never really fully heard the truth. 
They may have heard bits and pieces, but they've never fully heard the story. And they desperately, so desperately, need someone who will take the time and have the courage to lead them to the truth of Jesus Christ. And so I would propose to you this morning, church, our work is cut out for us. We can either lament over the condition of our nation and dwell on it and debate it as it turns into something that we don't want it to become, or we can focus on leading the blind to the one who opens blind eyes. We must care enough to lead them to the cross whereby they will not just be found, but their life will literally never be the same again. We don't need to debate. We certainly don't need to be calling names. We don't need to point out all of their perceived deficiency because I don't think for a second that that's how any of us found the love of the Father. We just need to show them a different way to live. And let's be clear about something. Not every lost person is an outwardly evil human being. Most of the people we come into contact with through the day are decent people who are doing their best to live life without the knowledge that you and I possess, the truth, the love, the forgiveness of Christ Jesus. So it is imperative that we are all solid examples of Christ's love in this confusing world in which we live. Jesus said in John 13, 35, by this, talking about love, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Listen, this is the only thing that is going to capture the world's attention because there is so little of it in our world today. And here's the deal. As we love people enough to start sharing Christ's love and his goodness and his faithfulness with him, we will eventually lead them to Christ. And so doesn't it make sense that the more people we lead to Jesus, the more Christians there will be in this nation and this world, and the more that the culture will shift in the right direction. The psalm that I read to you earlier talks about the nations conspiring and the kings of the earth rising up against God and his anointed. And this is a reality in our world and in our nation. And it's been that way ever since creation. And if that bothers you, well, join the crowd. It bothers me too. But that leads me to another thing that has greatly concerned me within the body of Christ, within the church, and it is this. How that so many Christians have firmly placed their trust in government or in a political party or even in a president to solve the problems that we face. Many Christians wanted Donald Trump to be reelected because they believed he represented their Christian values more than the other, his opponent. In addition to that, there was an abundance of, of well-known, modern-day prophetic voices who literally prophesied that Trump was going to be reelected as president among many other utterances about him. And so the assumption of a lot of people of faith who follow these people who made these prophetic assumptions or, or these prophetic words think that that's what was going to happen. But if you read the news, it didn't happen. And I want to first remind everybody of what happened to false prophets in biblical days, those who spoke erroneous prophecies. They were stoned to death. 
You didn't go up and just take something off the cuff and say what you wanted to say because you thought it was a popular thing to say to encourage people and attach, thus saith the Lord, to it. Because to speak on God's behalf carries it great responsibility. To proclaim, thus saith the Lord, when you obviously didn't hear him, is the ultimate form of hubris. But that's a whole other subject and a whole other sermon. And that is something that we all need to pray about and that we all need to seek discernment regarding as we move forward in the future. The voices that we are listening to and the things that they are saying on behalf of the Lord, supposedly. But there were also other Christian leaders who said that, that Trump was God's anointed. And they offered comparisons to him and other biblical figures. They likened Trump to a new Cyrus. Yes, a flawed pagan ruler, but nonetheless, one who was called by God for God's people to return to the promised land. Some likened Trump to an American Jehu, the leader of a new dynasty, someone who was outside of the establishment, called by the prophets to be a disruptor. Others likened Donald Trump to Queen Esther, someone who was raised up by God for such a time as this in order to protect God's people from mayhem. So much trust was placed in a flawed human being who many believed could right all the wrongs in our nation. But please hear me out this morning. America is not biblical Israel. And sadly, this combining of the prophetic in air with the political in shambles has herded whole swaths of the church off to the edge of the cliff, and I'm afraid that far too many have jumped headlong into the abyss. If there was one thing that we've learned from Jesus is that he was not sent to be a political leader or an earthly king. Many of his followers wanted him to be. They actually thought he would overthrow the Roman government, the Roman Empire. But when he made clear that that was not his mission, the Bible says that multitudes quit following him. And here's what we've got to remember, ladies and gentlemen. Jesus did not come to rule an earthly nation or kingdom. He is the king over an eternal heavenly kingdom. And likewise, you and I weren't called to save a nation. We have been called to save people. We have been called to be ministers of, of reconciliation in this world. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 21 so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. And this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sin against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So we are called to be ambassadors for God's kingdom, which is eternal, not ambassadors for an earthly kingdom that will rise and will eventually fall, as all nations do. And yet, 
I have seen far too many Christians who have put nationalism ahead of their Christian faith. We have at times trusted a country, a government, a president more than we've trusted God. And that is not only flawed, but that is seriously dangerous. And I'd like to say something to you this morning in case you think otherwise. I'm glad you voted. I'm glad you did because it is your civic duty at every level, uh, local, state, and federal. And furthermore, it is essential, and you've heard me say this many times before, it's important that we vote our Christian values. But I'd also like to say to you, if you really believe that a president or a political party can save our nation, then my friend, you have got the wrong perspective. The only one who can save the United States of America is Jesus Christ. And do you really think that he needs a political party or a president in order to do that? Listen, I firmly believe Christians as citizens of of our respective nations should be involved in civic life and civic duty. I believe that we should seek the welfare of the nations in which we live, praying to the Lord on our nation's behalf. In fact, in the Bible, Israel is actually told to pray for the land that they were exiled to of all things, Jeremiah 29, 7. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4 says, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. So we are commanded to pray for our leaders and those in government, while at the same time, as it says, living peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. But you know, as followers of Jesus, I believe we should all be doing what Abraham did and as is written in Hebrews 11.10. For he was looking forward to a city with foundations whose architect and builder was God. Hebrews eleven sixteen says they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Keep in mind, heaven is our home. We are just visitors passing through this earth. Somebody said we are, we are visitors with a visa, but our heavenly home is our ultimate destination. Yes, we should be involved in the political discussions of this present age, but when we become so invested in Christian nationalism, it becomes easy to turn America into some kind of an idol. And that is something that God would not want of us. And as I shared with you how I have carried grief over the direction of our nation, when I, when I have examined and prayed about those feelings, I walked away with a pretty interesting perspective. And I want to share it with you this morning. The end of this age is not all about America, ladies and gentlemen. We tend to put it all in a little box and everything's based about us. It's what's going on here. Certainly, when you look at our history, we've been a blessed nation and all of us have experienced great blessings from living in this land. America has experienced freedom and blessing and prosperity like no other nation on the face of the earth. 
But I believe in, with all my heart that inadvertently that has led us to believe somehow that we might be just a little more precious in God's sight than all the rest of the world, all the rest of the nations and all the people in those nations. And that is wrong. Jesus came to save everyone. He values every life equally. And his plan involves all nations and the people of those nations. The crazy things that we are dealing with in America have been happening in other parts of the world for literal centuries. But now we're starting to see the heat being turned up in America. It's only a matter of time before that was going to happen. Because our freedom and our prosperity has indulged us in such a dramatic fashion that we've simply lost our way. Because here's the deal also, anything created by man, including nations, will not last. And God knows this better than anyone because it's been happening since creation. Sin destroys people and sin destroys nations. I mean, where is the great Persian and Roman empires that were vowed that would last forever today? They don't exist. And please understand, that everything that you see going on in our nation and in our world today does not surprise God. He's not shocked at this. Not only does he see it, but he knew it was coming. And I would suggest to you that it is all a part of his plan for Jesus to return. Now, you may think that that is a fatalistic mindset, but I would say to you that it is an accurate and also a fear-removing mindset. There is nothing that happens in this world without God's foreknowledge. Get that through your head. And furthermore, he has a plan that will play out to perfection exactly as he has decided. So, this, the end of the age is coming. Therefore, as redeemed men and women of God, People and their eternal souls is what must be on our minds. And here's one more thing that troubles me. We've had it so good for so long in America that I fear the church has lost her way too. Constantly preaching on blessing and prosperity and the many good things that come from serving God, and that is all true. But very few pastors like to talk about suffering. Even though the scriptures tell us that growth and perseverance are byproducts of suffering, we don't want to even consider a loss of freedom because we've enjoyed it our entire lives and we really believe down to the core of who we are that we deserve it. And I just want to say I'm thankful to any of you here who fought for those freedoms. We don't want to think either about being persecuted for our faith because that only happens in lesser countries, right? And yet, church, I believe with all my heart that suffering and loss of freedom and persecution is coming. And I wonder how we're going to handle it. Will we stand strong for what we believe in, even if it costs us something? Or are we going to fold under the pressure and the condemnation of the many people surrounding us who do not believe? So this is the question of the day. What will we do and where will we go? Well, I'll tell you where we need to go. We need to go to Jesus. 
He is the only one you can trust. He is the only one who holds the future in his capable hands. He is the only one that has a plan, and it is complete, and it is perfect. Does that mean that we won't experience some heat along the way? Absolutely not. But let me tell you something this morning. Whenever you stay true to God and you do things his way, he empowers you to do whatever it is that he calls you to do. He strengthens you. He guides you. He equips you to endure. And it is his will that will be accomplished in our nation and ultimately in our world. Not the government's will, not the leaders of the government, not our elected officials, but God alone. So when you look at the scope And when you look at the diversity of the problems that we face, do you really think that human beings can fix all that? Well, I don't. We've got to put our trust in God and God alone because he is the only one who can be trusted. And further, he is the only one who deserves our trust. And so I want to say to all of you this morning, we've got to recalibrate our thinking. We have got to quit walking around in constant disgust over what we see going on in our nation and quit fearing what it is that we see. First Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Utilize the power of his spirit that indwells you. Use his love that compels you. Use the sound mind that he has blessed you with and begin to look at things through your eyes of faith and not your fearful human eyes. Because when you look below the surface, you're going to discover that your fears are unfounded. Every negative and evil thing going on in this country is driven by blinded and lost souls, many of whom are in positions of power. And you must understand that no one holds that position of power had God not allowed them to do so. Romans 13:1 says, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. And if you don't get that scripture, then try this one on for size. Isaiah 55, 8. For my eyes are not, or excuse me, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. Enough said. That's one of those mic drop moments. Let me ask you this morning, is it possible that an all-knowing, ever-present God knows what he's doing? I would say absolutely yes. God works and he weaves in in every moment of every day of every circumstance, putting the pieces of the puzzle together for Christ to return. And while like the song, the lyrics of the song, Ball of Confusion says, and the band played on while all this is going on. And while the band plays on, the Holy Scriptures will be fulfilled. Nations will rise and fall, and leaders of those nations will rise and fall. God will put people into power to fulfill his purposes. But one day, ladies and gentlemen, all accounts will be settled. One day, justice will be served. But until that day, there will be troubles, and there will be challenges that we will need to overcome. There will be things happening that you won't agree or you won't understand. At times, it will even seem like evil is prevailing in this world, but fear not. 
Because Jesus is coming. And until that day, people will continue to be saved. Miracles will still happen. People will be healed in the name of Jesus. The Holy Spirit will strengthen and empower and instruct and sustain you. And God will prevail. And he will rule and reign throughout eternity. And so as we look at the road ahead, I want to offer you this morning a few words of encouragement from the Bible. Psalm 46, 1 through 3. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountain fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. Isaiah 43, 1 through 3. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Isaiah 41.10, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Deuteronomy 31, 6 and 8, be strong and bold. Have no fear or dread of them, because it is the Lord your God who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Jeremiah 8.10, do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Psalm 27, 1 through 3, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. In Philippians 4, 6, do not worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Those and hundreds of other scriptures will help you to maneuver your way through all of the confusion that's going on in our country and our world today. And it would serve every one of us well to take time to get into the Word of God and pick out those hundred other scriptures that you need to read and write them down and read them every morning before you leave your house to encourage you. And my prayer is that you have been encouraged by these few scriptures that I've read you this morning. But let me provide you with the most important scripture that you're going to hear all day. And here it is. It's found in Revelation 3.11. And I want you to really hold on to this one. I am coming soon. Hold fast to what you have so that no one may seize your crown. Jesus is coming, ladies and gentlemen. And when he does, I want you to listen in Matthew 25, 31 through 41 at what will happen to the nation's and the people of the earth. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right but the goats on his left. The king will then say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, Inherit the kingdom prepared for you 
from the foundations of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to the least, to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Can I just say to all of you this morning, the only thing you need to be focused on right now is Jesus and his return. And the million dollar question, are you ready? Are you prepared to meet the Lord? Because he's coming again. And it is the most important thing that you need to be ready for. Are your loved ones saved? Are your family members saved? Are your friends and the people that that you work with every day saved and ready? This is what our focus has to be. We cannot be deterred by this big ball of confusion any longer because your job and my job is to make ready for Christ's coming. And if you will put your time and your prayer and your thought and your effort into this and not into all of the politics and all of the corruption and all of the unrest that's get thrown at us every day, you will replace all the fear and worry and concern that is deep into your heart about all this politics and all this corruption and it will be replaced with peace. And I think I can say without doubt that that is something that has been elusive to some of you of late. You will obtain the peace that the Word of God says passes all understanding because the only peace that you seek or the peace that all of us seek can only be found in Christ Jesus. And it continues to grow as you get to know him better by allowing yourself to be used by him to fulfill his purposes in this world. And when you begin to understand his purposes and get a glimpse of his plan, all this other stuff, well, it just becomes nothing more than more noise. No longer will you fear because your trust and your life are securely in his capable hands. Scott, will you come forward, please? Help me to close this down. This morning, we are going to participate in Holy Communion together, which is something that we usually do on the first Sunday of every month. And if you, when you arrived, you should have received a communion emblems on the table outside. If you didn't get one, you can go ahead and get up now bring it back and and join us for communion. You see, you can't talk about everything that we've talked about this morning and not be reminded of what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross of Calvary. He died on on a Roman cross, and yet he did nothing wrong. He was sinless. He died a death that was reserved for the, the most vile criminal, And it was a a brutal and a horrific death. And he died, and then he rose again three days later so that we could live eternally in the presence of God when our time on this earth is completed or when Jesus returns. It's what Jesus did that makes it possible for us 
to live by the truth that I've been sharing with you this morning, to fully trust in God and to not fear everything that you see going on around you. Having a relationship with Christ and being able to have that relationship with him is, is what helps us to maintain hope. When everything going on around us is a big ball of confusion. And Jesus commanded that we always remember the sacrifice that he made. And this is why we take communion together. We do it not just to remember, but we do it also to give thanks. And I believe at this sacred moment, it requires every one of us to do some self-examination of exactly the kind of life we are living and the kind of life that we are portraying to others outside of these four walls. 1 Corinthians 11, 27 through 29 says, Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Before anyone receives communion, it's essential that we examine ourselves before God in light of this sacred moment. To take the time and to make sure that we are not harboring ill will or bitterness towards someone else. And if we are, we need to take care of that. Or if we're carrying around unconfessed sin in our life, God already knows it. We need to confess it. Say, God, forgive me for those things. If there's anything in your life that would bring judgment upon yourself, then go to the Lord in prayer and take care of it today. In a moment, we're going to have a moment of prayer. All you're going to hear is what you hear now, the music playing softly behind me. And it's a time for private prayer, each one of us to God. I'm not going to pray. I'm going to pray silently, and I want you to pray silently and share your heart with the Lord. If you're here today and you've never asked Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of your life, you can do that this morning. Simply ask him to forgive you of your sin. Tell him you believe that he is the Son of God, the only way to God the Father. Ask him to come into your heart, and he will. The Bible says that he will cleanse you of all unrighteousness. It also says that you will become a new creation. And you can begin a new kind of life today. If you're already a Christian, then take this time to, to, to dwell deep inside. Clear up anything that needs to be cleared up with the Lord. Confess any sin that maybe you haven't confessed up to this point. If we all do this, then we can together participate in communion, knowing that every one of us in this place are doing so in a worthy manner, a manner that brings honor to our Lord and Savior that he so desperately deserves. Let's bow our heads and pray.
Father, you've heard our words, and more importantly, you've read our heart. You're aware of everything in our life, even though we have yet maybe to confess it to you, so we confess our sin to you. We ask for your forgiveness, Lord. We truly want to live lives that that please you. We want to live lives that bring you glory, and I pray through the power of your spirit that you would help us to be strong and firm in our faith, particularly in this age in which we live. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he came to die our death so that we could live, so that we could live, live eternally in your presence. What a precious gift, and we thank you today, Father. We give you all praise, honor, and glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you've never used these disposable communion emblems before, there's a piece of cellophane that you need to peel back which will expose the wafer. And then there is a foil seal that you pull back which will open up the juice. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, the night that he was arrested, he had a final meal with his disciples, and before the meal, he took the bread, and after he had given thanks and broke the bread, he said, this bread represents my body, which will soon be broken for you. And he said, every time you partake together in this time of communion, I want you to do so in remembrance of me. So as you eat this bread this morning, I want you to remember the bruised and the battered body of Jesus Christ, the sinless Son of God that was sacrificed and atones for your, to cover your sin. You may eat of the bread. same manner he took the cup he told them that this cup represented his blood in fact he called it the new covenant in my blood and again he said as often as you do this do so in remembrance of me so as you partake of this juice this morning I want you to be thinking be mindful of the precious blood that flowed from the body of Jesus to atone and cover for your and my sin would you stand with us as we sing
thank you for the blood of Jesus that was shed to cover our sin. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you have a plan that is spelled out in your word. And therefore, people of faith should not fear. We should not worry the things going on around us because, Lord, you are in control and everything will work out exactly as you have planned. We thank you, Lord, that we have you to trust. Not government, not officials, not people who let us down, but God Almighty who never lets us down. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would impress upon each one of us the importance of us being involved in the Great Commission. The time is short and so many people are lost and they're going to face eternity apart from you. God, would you stir our hearts and create in us a love enough for other people that we would care about their spiritual condition, that we would share your goodness with them, that we would share the plan of salvation with them and that they would come to know you in a personal way. Would you show us that this is the important part, the most important part of the mission that you have given us? And Father, that we would get, a, get about doing our Father's business. Lord, we don't get everything going on. And because we love our country, it grieves us. And yet, God, we know that everything is falling into place for all Scripture to be fulfilled to pave the way for the coming of Jesus. We thank you that you've given us the opportunity to know him and therefore that we will go to heaven at that time when we won't have to worry about the rest. We keep our eyes focused upon you. So Lord, help our eyes to, to stay on you. Let us not look at the things around us that distract us. Let us not get so caught up in the news of the day that it just is, it permeates every thought, every emotion, everything that we say. Lord, help us not to call those who are lost names, but to love them into a relationship with you, just as you loved us into a relationship with you. Let the love of God prevail in our daily lives and let it be exhibited in the way that we live out there, away from each other and away from this place. God, I pray as we go our separate ways today that your spirit would go with us. Of course, we know it does. Your spirit would guide and direct our steps, places we go, the things that we do, the conversations that we have. And Lord, let those conversations be designed to build people up and not to tear them down. That they would be conversations of hope and not defeat that they would be conversations of your goodness and your love that would open up the door for us to ultimately share the gospel message with them. Father, I pray that you'd impress upon our hearts that each one of us should take one person to the cross to this year, that that would be a goal of every person in this church. But the truth is, Lord, I know that once we lead one, it's such an exciting thing that we'll want to lead others. Imagine if every follower of you did that and took that to heart in this nation, how quickly the landscape of our land could change. 
So God, be with us. Strengthen us. Guide us. Build us up. Help us to keep our trust in you and no one else. And help us to not lose our hope. Because you are the only hope that we have and we know that you are true. So keep us safe, I pray, till we gather together again. Keep us safe from COVID, other sicknesses, other diseases and illnesses that might befall us. Keep us safe from accidents till we join back together again as a church family and worship you in spirit and truth. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your presence here today. Thank you for the love that you give us, the strength that you give us every single day. We pray that as we leave here, Lord, we would bring honor to the sacrifice that Jesus made for us and the way that we live our lives. And we ask these things in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Thank you for being here today.